I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at the Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do in, matter. And in all safe. seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A and all of the presentations from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you links to download a podcast or watch a video stream. Order today at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. The countries that protect religious freedom are those who provide the best treatment to minorities and the most vulnerable among us. God never says anything about you being happy. That's not the goal of life. And that's shocking, frankly, to a lot of people, even a lot of Christians. They're shocked to hear that God doesn't care if they're happy because they're convinced that's the whole goal of life, isn't it? The resurrection of Christ means that the roof has been blown off and the heavens are not made of brass. God became man. And this man brings not merely life over death, but he brings abundant life in the here and now. The gift of private confession and absolution, that is specifically there for those kind of moments where you are feeling the power of your sin and it's really bugging you. The youth of Holy Cross Lutheran Church, Carlisle, Iowa, love listening to Issues Etc. on their way to higher things. The ancient era of Gnosticism Well, its fingerprints are all over the ancient world, inside and outside the church. The New Testament deals with its errors, as do the early church fathers. Is it still with us today? Well, yes, it is. In fact, one might even argue it's more with us today than it was in the ancient world where it flourished as a heresy. It's now everywhere in our society and has even found its way back into the church. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 25th of July. We're going to be talking about the heresy of Gnosticism, past and present, with Pastor Peter Burfine. Then we'll discuss several abortion-related issues, including the FDA approving an oral contraceptive called O-Pill, the availability of contraception and the abortion rates. CNN has a story about Texas's infant mortality rate, says it's going up because of their abortion laws. And there's a new poll on abortion attitudes in the United States. Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute will be our guest. Joining us to discuss the heresy of Gnosticism, past and present, Pastor Peter Burfind. He's pastor of Agnes Day Lutheran Church in Marshall, Michigan, and Our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City, Michigan. He's author of the book Gnostic America and a column for the August edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Gnosticism, the Modern Influence of an Ancient Heresy. Peter, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, Todd. Where do we see modern manifestations of this ancient heresy of Gnosticism today? All over the place. And what's neat to see is that people are finally starting to be on the scent of Gnosticism. I've been getting into some YouTube videos. There's a couple of really good YouTube videos. One is by James Lindsay that's talking about Gnosticism and its connection to Marxism. And I'd recommend that if anybody wants to explore and get more. 
or there's a, also this uh, TIK, they do a lot of history things and, and they're onto it now. I personally am coming out with a book soon that's going to be kind of like a Gnostic America light. My original book is, is a lot to manage, a lot, very academic. And so I'm trying to make a book that can be used like in a context of a Bible study, and that's going to be coming out soon. So this is a hot topic, and I encourage people to really be aware and have their eyes open to where this is. And, and what I always explain it when I do conferences is I say, understanding Gnosticism gives you an aha. When you, when you kind of see what's going on, it's sort of like, whoa, this is big. So what are some modern manifestations of Gnosticism today? It, it's this whole rebellion against nature and reality that we're seeing. This whole focus not on the real and the physical, but almost on this fantasy world. It began in, with the New Age in the 1960s, this idea that the world is an illusion and, and, and everything is fake and, and you got to kind of like have this mystical ascent through drugs or through sexuality often to have this connection to this higher being. Today, you can see it politically in the respect that we give to elite experts as if they have some sort of enlightened bird's eye or God's eye view on the world and the trajectories of history. The media, I mean, think about the media and how we spend the majority of our time with disembodied persons. You know, we, we kind of live in this disembodied world for some people, eight, 10 hours a, a day as we binge watch television, as we spend our time on social media, we're not interacting with real flesh and blood people. So that's setting the mind up for very Gnostic ideas. Our default philosophy of today, existentialism, which is this idea that our inner self is, is trapped or in bondage to these principles of, of the world. For instance, we're born in a family, we're born with a gender, we're born with religion jammed down our throat, we're born in a certain country. And as we mature, we kind of shuck off all these things and become the liberated, authentic self. You know, the search for authenticity is, I would argue, a Gnostic idea. And hand in hand with that is, is transgenderism, which says that your body does not tell you what you are, but you, you choose, You're the choosing agent, this authentic self that you theoretically have inside you, that's actually what tells you what gender you are. And finally, the last manifestation of it, I'd say, is this idea of transhumanism that we're seeing, where people are, are literally talking about the possibility of immortality because they're disconnecting the human person from the body. And so like, hey, maybe we can upload our minds into a computer and we can have immortality. Or maybe we can be cyborgs, you know, upload our mind to a, a robot and that can be our body. So there's Gnosticism all over the place. And I'm, I'm happy to see that a lot of people are starting to hop on board and recognize this. This is, you know, I've been talking about this for nine years and, and it's good to see that other people are starting to see it. So those are the manifestations. What is Gnosticism itself historically and really throughout history? Yeah, throughout history, it's the simple idea that the world as we see it, you go outside and you look at the world, that the whole thing is an illusion that the physical part of the world is, is an illusion. It's not real. It's fake. And it's actually the creation of a lesser divinity called Yaldabaoth or the Demiurge. He created the physical world, and he's an evil god that was kind of making his, his world almost in a state of rebellion. But some of us, depending on which Gnostic teaching you go with, it's all of us or some of us, have a spark of the divinity in us. 
And the pathway to salvation is as we kind of ignore the outside world and look inwardly and follow that inner spark to find gnosis. So Gnosticism is centered on the word gnosis, which means knowledge. And the idea is, is that you have this inner knowledge, not a knowledge that's a reflection of the external world. That's how we typically look at knowledge. You know, that knowledge is reflective. You, you, you bear witness to the outside world. This sort of knowledge, actually, you reject the outside world and turn inward and find this inner connection to God through the inner self, inner or the higher self. Can you go into the cosmology of Gnosticism a little more? Okay, so the cosmology begins with uh, sort of the, you, you can't name it because the Gnostic God, so to speak, is beyond all names and naming. So even naming it is kind of a paradoxical thing. But what they would call God, the higher God, sometimes called the monad, the one, the hen in Neoplatonism, you know, he's got a lot of names in some of the different Gnostic cosmologies, but he's the center of all being. And he has these emanations from him, these male-female parities called syzygies that emanate from him. And all of that in perfect harmony is known as the pleroma. And that is way more to that story, obviously, but that's putting it simply. Well, at the outer rim of that pleroma is a female entity known as Sophia. Well, Sophia decided that she was going to create something on her own without consulting her male counterpart. Well, that rebellion, so to speak, on her part led to this monstrous being that she was pregnant with called Yaldabaoth. And she aborted it. Some texts say, use that word, she aborted it, or you might say it miscarried, but when it came out, she got rid of it and it was alive. And she hid it away in a cloud. <laughs> and that cloud happens to be the entire universe, our known universe. So Yaldabaoth, once he's expelled from the Pleroma, finds himself in this realm, hidden away in this cloud. Well, he decides he's going to create a world, and he ends up creating the physical universe. Now, the thing to keep in mind with this cosmology is that they don't understand this as real. It's all a typology or what we call sometimes a heuristic, a scaffolding for understanding reality. It's not intended to be the way we understand the creation, but almost like a psychological tale that explains how we are what we are. So Yaldabaoth creates the material world, and he also creates physical beings that are in his image. And this is where the biblical story begins. Yaldabaoth comes down, makes a man in his image, and then Sophia feels bad for this creature that Yaldabaoth is making. So she puts a spark of the divinity into these beings. And then, you know, there's a whole myth going on here. But eventually Yaldabaoth cuts Sophia off at the pass and stymies the attempt of these beings to discover their true inner divinity. And so they're asleep to who they really are. All people are asleep to the reality that there's a spark of divinity in them. So, and this is a word everybody will recognize, the salvation program happens as people become woke to the true reality undergirding the entire world. So the substructure of reality, as they become woke to it, that's where their salvation comes from. Jesus was sent as kind of a spirit being to use the pretense of flesh and blood to kind of come into our world and teach people how to leave it or escape this world and thereby find salvation. So they don't believe Jesus is truly flesh and blood, but he's just kind of using the flesh and blood to get to us, to be able to teach us the way to escape the world. 
So that helps explain why Gnosticism rejects the physical world, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. They look at the physical world as physicality is the original sin. When we became individual beings, substantially divided from the person next to me, that is the evil. We are all supposed to be one. We're all supposed to be kind of in the pleroma with this hive mind and in perfect unity. And it's because of this darn flesh and blood that we've become divided from one another. And if you read some of their resources, they'll say, I mean, look at it. All the problems in our world happen because of male and female divisions, because of racial divisions, because of religious divisions. All these principles that divide us are actually the reasons why there's war. Property, you know, property is divided up. And so if we just get rid of all these divisions, we can kind of start on the road to the Pleroma. Now, a true Gnostic would say that's why you got to leave this world behind. There's a variant of Gnosticism known as Hermeticism, which believes, no, you can actually start making that happen in this physical world. They're a little more optimistic about the physical world. We can make the physical world reflect the Pleroma. And these are the political Gnostics. They believe politics can make a one world state without borders, without distinctions between people and we're all, we're all kind of this big hive led by our leaders. Pastor Peter Burfind is our guest. We're talking about the heresy of Gnosticism, past and present. On the other side, he says that Gnosticism is parasitic. We'll find out what he means. If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speakers' presentations, all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest 
all your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about Gnosticism, past and present, with Pastor Peter Burfind. He's author of the book Gnostic America and a column for the August edition of the Lutheran Witness Magazine titled Gnosticism, the Modern Influence of an Ancient Heresy. Pastor Burfind, you say that Gnosticism is parasitic. What do you mean? So Gnosticism is the devil's theology. That's a conclusion I came after studying it, because you see it everywhere and you're just like, oh, well, this is the devil's theology. It's parasitic because it's Satan's theology, and it, it's, I would argue that it's, it's part of our original sin. It's part of our inheritance of original sin of how we look at the world. So let's go back to the fall itself. When God created the world, he created everything, and after each day he said, it, it is good. The world is good. Because it's good, it is to be received with thanksgiving. But just like St. Paul said, the world is good, and everything is to be received with thanksgiving. The devil comes in and he basically says, your eyes will be opened and now you'll be able to see good and evil. So now he's basically promising you'll see something beyond the good world that God put you in and you'll see something more. Well, he's promising a new vision, a new way of looking at the world. Well, I would argue that original sin with original sin becomes this new vision, which is really a blinded vision. It's really like a turning away from God's good creation towards this kind of what I call the phantasmic image, seeing a phantasm rather than the real world itself. And because of that, it's kind of, we look through the lens of this satanic deception, we can't see the world the way it's supposed to be. So we take this lens into everything that we do, including religion. So Gnosticism has always kind of had a way of attaching itself to whatever system it's working with and doing its damage. If you look at Gnosticism kind of Academically, it, it has roots in Platonism, Zoroastrianism, the mystery cults of the ancient world. And it's it sort of, you know, you got these streams that come together. Oh, and also the Bible. It takes elements of the Bible. And these streams come together with this first century movement known as Gnosticism. Well, then as Gnosticism got suppressed, then it kind of embedded itself in these other movements. Like in Islam, it was known as Sufism. I would argue that in Christianity, it manifested as Christian mysticism and just blatant Gnosticism. You know, a lot of the monastic movement, I think, flirted with a lot of Gnosticism. Hinduism is, Zen Buddhism is, is Gnostic. Um, Hinduism is very much Gnostic. Kabbalah has a lot of Gnostic elements. And then in the modern age, it, I think it's kind of reared its ugly head more clearly now in things like Hegelianism, the New Age, Schopenhauer, Wagner. I mean, you just see it all over the place now with uh, like a theosophy of uh, Helen Blavatsky in the late 19th century. There's all these movements that, that have kind of manifested it more clearly. How did Gnosticism then find its way into the ancient church? It found its way into everything. And it, it certainly had certain biblical elements that it kind of found affinities with. I think what's interesting is that I mean, Satan always perverts everything that God does. So I think Gnosticism kind of really showed itself with the rise of Christianity. So it takes all the concepts that we have in Christianity 
and kind of twists them and perverts them and really inverts them in some ways. I mean, there are movements in Corinth that are indicated in, in 1 Corinthians. St. John was dealing with it. The traditional argument of how it entered into the church is through Simon Magus, who had a, a companion with him, and he was a magician and believed that he could manipulate the powers, and he wanted the Holy Spirit, so he wanted to pay for the power of the Holy Spirit in order to manipulate his world. So that's sort of the tradition of how Gnosticism entered the church, but it was definitely part of the milieu, the cultural milieu of the time, and Christianity, the devil went into overcharge and said, oh yeah, we got, we got to take over this new religion. And it became a very powerful movement, especially in the second century. How has Gnosticism remained, or perhaps we should say found its way into the church today? It's this whole concept that I said before, is when the, the focus gets taken off the objective, external, real, natural order and world, and gets put internally, that's where the problems begin to happen. Like I said, this is a satanic theology that's gone on throughout history, so it's always going to be tempting the church. The Christian church was set up as a fundamentally objective thing. Christ is an objective savior that 12 men bore witness to. In fact, I argue that one of the possible reasons why he picked 12 disciples is to have three witnesses to go into the four directions of east, west, south, north, and bear witness of who he is to the whole world. But that is very unique about Christianity is we are a witness-based theology. It's something that a child can witness. They can see it. So what is the church? The church is a community of people that bear witness to two objective things, the word and the sacrament. And the word and the sacrament, in turn, are works of the Holy Spirit, whose job, Jesus says, is to take what belongs to him as he sits at God's right hand and communicate it to us, again, through the word and the sacrament. So the church is really a, a witnessing body. And what we're witnessing by faith is Christ at the right hand of God and our position in Christ, justified through him in fellowship with God, in that status with him. And the markers of that are the word and sacrament, especially the Eucharist, where we receive it with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. The posture that the church has is a witness posture. We're, we're bearing witness, we're testifying, we're confessing. As that happens, Christ is managing his presence for us. It's an important point, a concept to understand. And you can almost apply this to everything. As the external object owns management of what it is, we, we receive it as a gift. You know, you see an apple on a table, as long as we look at that apple and say, all right, that apple is going to tell me what it is. If I want to engage it, if I want to bite it and chew it and enjoy it, it's going to manage what it is. Then I get to receive it as a gift. As I withdraw from that process and decide that I'm going to project meaning onto the apple of what it means. Now it's, I can't receive it as a gift, but its entire existence depends on the power of my imagination or my projecting. The same thing happens to Christ and his church. As Christ is in reality sitting at God's right hand, in reality sending the Holy Spirit, in reality setting up a church that we're going to go to you know, on Sunday, in reality setting up the word and sacrament to be these objective markers of his presence, Christ is managing that presence and moment for us. He's managing what's going on. But there's always this temptation to say, no, I'm going to manage Christ. I'm going to say what he is. So 
that happens when the church kind of becomes unmoored from those historic markers of Christ's presence in the church, which is word and sacrament, and I'd argue the whole liturgical edifice. And as we, we remove ourselves from that, now it becomes an act of projection. I project Jesus as a reflection of my will or as a reflection of who I am or what I value. Jesus becomes this phantasm created through drama or a celebrity preacher or exciting music. It all becomes phantasmic. It becomes a fantasy. And if you talk to a lot of Christians that come from these traditions, when you push them, they will say Christ is not present in the church, that it's all a spiritual thing. Well, then you start to probe and say, well, what, how does the spirit operate? Well, he operates as he inspires these feelings so that Christ literally becomes this phantasm or this imaginary friend that I have a relationship with. And so to me, I see that as the biggest Gnostic threat in the church today. I know that's a, a long answer and very complicating, but I think it's important to understand the spiritual dynamics going on there. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Pastor Peter Burfind about his column for the August edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Gnosticism, the Modern Influence of an Ancient Heresy. The latest issue also covers the false teachings of moralistic therapeutic deism, the prosperity gospel, the Arian heresy, Nestorianism, Eutychianism, and Pelagianism. You can receive an annual print and digital subscription of the Lutheran Witness for less than $20. For more information, call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, or visit cph.org witness. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness magazine. On the other side, how does the New Testament address the errors of Gnosticism? that whole Old Testament, then even the New Testament, can be seen as like, where is this promised child? Dr. Adam Philippic, author of The Issues, Etc., Book of the Month for July, Life in Christ, Rooted, Woven, and Grafted into God's Story. Who's going to crush the head of the serpent and give us back the very presence of God, that land that we dwelt with God in, no sorrow, no suffering, no sin, no death, but in his presence permanently. Learn more about life in Christ at issuesetc.org. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Looking for a faithful Lutheran church in East Central Oklahoma? Welcome to Trinity Okmulgee, a friendly and faithful LCMS congregation only 40 miles south of Tulsa. Hi, this is Pastor Chris Teebs. Check us out at trinityokmulgee.org. That's trinity, O-K-M-U-L-G-E-E, all one word, dot org. See you soon at Trinity Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world. 
specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. The Faith Once for All Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while, to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Welcome back. We're talking about Gnosticism with Pastor Peter Burfind, author of the book Gnostic America. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Burfind, does the New Testament address Gnosticism? Absolutely. It's interesting because, uh, you know, I've mentioned before the Tick uh, videos by this, uh, he's like a libertarian YouTuber and, and he's just discovered Gnosticism. So he's getting and understanding the connections between Hitler and Gnosticism. But he also kind of uh, maligns St. John and says St. John was the first Gnostic, which is, to me, I'm just like, what? St. John is the first anti-Gnostic. He begins his gospel literally saying the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's a champion of the flesh. He's the one that bears witness to Jesus saying, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He's the one that's, that begins his epistle saying, the one whom we have handled and seen and touched and Thomas touching, or he didn't, we don't know if he did or not, but Jesus offers his wounds to be touched by Thomas. That's very much a Johannine thing. John's also the one that introduced the word term antichrist, which literally says what the antichrist is and defines it in Gnostic terms. Whoever denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is an antichrist. So to me, that's one of the most profound explanations of Gnosticism. When the concept of Christ or the image of Christ leaks out of his body and blood. And this is what I was saying before, this whole spiritual dynamic. When Christ loses management of who he is as someone centered in this flesh and blood person, and it kind of becomes this abstraction, this mantle that anybody can embrace and say, oh, well, Jesus means this to me. Well, that's the work of the Antichrist. Because when you start saying, this is what Jesus means to me, you're essentially saying you're Jesus, or Jesus is a reflection of your inner self and inner values. So John is definitely dealing with that demon. The book of Revelation, I would argue, is a massive challenge to Gnosticism. St. Paul also has hints of it, too. He's the one that introduced the phrase, the falsely called knowledge, 
So he gives testimony in the early church that they understood there was this movement centered on gnosis or knowledge, and he, and he calls it, it's a falsely called knowledge. It's not knowledge at all. I think Paul was dealing with it at Corinthians with some of the speaking in tongues and some of the gender issues. There were probably female prophetesses that, that he had to deal with, and Gnosticism has always erased the distinction between genders, so that fits that profile. One of the most powerful statements of, of St. Paul is in 1 Timothy 4, where he literally says in latter times, people are going to depart from the faith and give heed to doctrines of demons. And very notably, he says, these people are, are going to forbid marriage, which is what Gnostics have typically done throughout history. They don't believe in marriage. It procreates. It continues the evil of flesh being born, abstaining from foods. And then very notably, he says, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe. And then he says, for every creature of God is good. And that, that's the death blow to the Gnostic teaching, because they say every creature of God is evil. St. Paul says every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, which sets up the Christian posture. When we gather on Sunday morning, we're overflowing with the goodness of God throughout our week. And our hearts are bursting with thanksgiving over all God's wonderful gifts. And that's, that's one of the main reasons for worship is that sacrifice of thanksgiving. So Gnosticism really threatened the church kind of in the second century after the Apostles' Creed had already been circulated. And the Nicene Creed had to kind of deepen the Apostles' Creed a little bit and add certain phrases that dealt with the Gnostic heresy. And one of those is right there in the beginning where it says, I believe in God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. In other words, God, the Father made the visible world. One God made both the visible and invisible world. It's not two gods that made both creations. And then also, you know, the phrases resurrection of the flesh is an anti-gnostic phrase. And also the phrase was incarnate, that Christ was incarnate. That's a blow against the Gnostics. How does the church respond to and combat Gnosticism today? Number one, we have to understand that it's not our battle. It's Christ's battle. In the book of Revelation, he defeats the enemy. He defeats the beast with the sword of his mouth. And of course, the sword of his mouth is the word. And the word is, again, something that we bear witness to. That's what church is. Church isn't us coming up with our own ideas and, hey, I got this great new idea that the Spirit told me the other day. No, these are words that an objective source called the Bible lays down, and we as a church bear witness of these words. And that happens to the pastor as he preaches the word of God. He's not up there as a comedian and a joke teller and an entertainer. He's there to bear witness of the truth of God, the truth of God's word. It happens as the congregation sings its hymns and sings its canticles. They're bearing witness. We need to keep on doing that. We need to let the Lord do his fighting because he will fight that battle for us. The church is always in that witness posture. When Jesus says we're the lights of the world, it's because we're bearing witness of the light. If we do that, I think the world will see that. And the second one is, I think, a really kind of subtle one that's important in today's day and age. The church has to reclaim, and maybe I'm talking about the Lutheran church at least, but we need to reclaim the understanding that, that the Christian life is one of thanksgiving and joy and looking at the world as the full of the goodness of the Lord, for which our heart gives thanksgiving at the Eucharist every week. 
That's part of the purpose of the service is bearing witness of God's goodness and giving thanks for it. I think a lot of people in this world are absolutely smitten by this demon of depression and anxiety and fear. All they get from the media is how bad the world is, how it's falling apart, how there's heat waves, how there's pandemics and wars and all this evil stuff. And children are growing up with tremendous amount of anxiety and not gratefulness at all, just bitterness towards, towards all the evil systems of the world, which is a Gnostic posture. Christians don't have that because we know Christ rules. We know he's sitting at the right hand of God with all power and authority. And that's why we gather together to sing with joy and receive things with thanksgiving. I think that could have a powerful effect that could answer and satisfy a lot of people who are looking for something. And, and so along those lines, I think Christians really need to be careful that we don't go down the path of being becoming basically conservative Gnostics, which is constantly looking for conspiracies and seeing evil and, and darkness and as if Satan is ultimately in control. And there's a passage I always like to quote and people get this way. When people talk about, oh, the, the devil's taking over the world and, and you know everything's going bad and darkness is taking over the world. I say, well, look at Revelation 17, 17, when it talks about the rise of the Antichrist, the rise of the beast. Here's what it literally says. God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So whatever happenings are going on in history right now that might be laying the foundation for the end of the world or an antichrist figure to really scourge the church, God's behind it. And obviously he has to be behind it because he rules over all things in heaven and on earth. He's God almighty. Nothing happens without his knowledge and will. Well, once you kind of turn that corner and realize like there's nothing we have to be upset about because God is in control, we can really have those grateful hearts. And I just think that could be a, a really powerful witness in the world today. Pastor Peter Burfind is pastor of Agnes Day Lutheran Church in Marshall, Michigan, and Our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City, Michigan. He's author of the book Gnostic America and a column for the August edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine titled Gnosticism, the Modern Influence of an Ancient Heresy. You can purchase Gnostic America on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Peter, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Michael New of the Charlotte Lozier Institute will be with us on the other side to talk about the oral contraceptive O-pill, a CNN story about Texas's infant mortality rate, and a new poll on abortion attitudes. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. Are you a young, single, confessional Lutheran looking for a future spouse or friends who share your faithful confession of Christ? St. John Lutheran Church in Sycamore, Illinois is hosting its second annual Singles Retreat on Saturday, August 5th. This retreat is for high school grads through age 30. 
Visit stjohnsycamore.org and select the Young Singles Retreat icon. That's stjohnsycamore.org. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Are you attending the LCMS National Convention? Ad Crusen will be exhibiting, and we've made some wonderful products for you to see in person before you buy. They'll be our delightful chancel culture products, crucifixes, jewellery, posters, Christmonds, wooden plaques, artwork, and much more. Be sure to visit us at booth 222. Visit adcrucem.com or booth 222 at the LCMS National Convention. <laughs> 